Uh, today's word comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 18. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 18. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, as it in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is the word of God. Um, am I on? I am on. All right. Hi, I'm Susan. For those of you guys who don't um, know me, um, I'm I'm one of the pastors here. We are. Uh, before I get into this, uh, today's sermon, I just want to say something to all those of you who last week um, contributed to making this a, a wonderful Sunday. It was a bit of a. Uh, it's honestly a bit of a stressful Sunday for um, the leaders because that was our big congregation meeting where we were talking about church plant stuff. But we had no idea that that was the Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I had no clue about that stuff. And yesterday, I was eating the last piece of that cake. Okay, My wife was like saying, hey, it might have gone bad. You shouldn't eat it. <laughs> but while I was eating it, I was like, this is the Pastor Appreciation Cake. It tastes really good. <laughs> and so um, thank, you, thank you for that piece of love. That was really, uh, really, it was really wonderful and really a delightful surprise. Um, let's get into today's word. Uh, for those of you um, who have maybe not been here, we are at um, in a series, a very important series, uh, because our church is becoming a new church, a new church plant, and literally, this is what? So this is uh, part seven of the series. That means we're seven weeks into being revived Presbyterian. You guys know that, <laughs> right? And, um, and there's a lot of different plans and things going on about like how we're changing things to, uh, to become you know, just a, a new witness in our city. 
And this is a vision series about what Revive is going to be about. Now today, um, let, let's, let's, let's throw that up there, William. Um, just, we shared this with you in our congregational meeting. And here are our, here's our vision. And then those are our ministry values. So this is our vision, new life in Christ for the nations. of So we're revived. You know, what are we trying to revive? We're trying to revive dead souls and dying souls. With what? With new life through Jesus Christ and his gospel. And we don't want to just give it to people um, that are already like us. This is a city full of the nations. Um, this is an incredible city, as I, I shared about last week. It's, it's really one of the really special cities on, on the earth. And um, the end of the earth literally come into our city. We don't have to go to the end of the earth to reach them. Uh, they are our neighbors and our coworkers. And so um, this is our vision, new life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. And these are our values. Um, and, and if, you know, we're gospel-centered and grace-driven, I've already preached through that, Christ reigning through word and spirit. We have a king. And so um, I don't, it may be a little strange for some of you, a lot of you, and I, and I was really pushing back, you don't own yourself, you don't rule yourself, right? That we have a king and a really good one, right? And um, we talked, we spent three weeks talking about what it means that we are disciples, making missional disciples of all the nations. So we spent three good weeks on that. And today we're going to talk about this. So maybe um, we're going to talk about this one, countercultural intergenerational family, right? So I'm going to spend three weeks on this value, very important. And today I'm really going to talk about that third part, family. Next week I'll talk about countercultural. What does it mean that we have different values that live counterculturally to our city and to the world around us? And thus we are a beacon. We're a beacon of, um, really, of heaven. And um, the week after that, we'll talk about our value of being intergenerational. Um, it's not really, uh, we felt like it was so important to, to, to mention that. Um, there's a, there are a lot of churches that don't really think like that. And quite frankly, um, so many churches think, in what, what I call it market segmentation, right? Uh, you know, we're, we're advanced consumers in everything in America. Um, you're a very advanced consumer probably about spaghetti sauce, you know? Um, we're also advanced consumers of, of even of church. And so what we tend to do is we tend to market segment even according to age. And in our church, we, we're, we're being countercultural about that. We're going to push back on that um, because we don't think that's God's will and that's, that's not how the, how the Bible teaches. But... Um, today, let's talk about a really important piece of, of countercultural value, and that is family. We are family, and um, love that last song that our, our brother chose um, for praise, and, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's get into today's word. I've entitled Community and Divine Humility. Community and Divine Humility. And um, part one is the sin of pride and the problem of autonomy. And so um, we're not really good at this community stuff. In America, I don't know if you noticed, there's a deep, deep longing for community. Are you a person that longs for community? I hope you do. You, you long to be with a group of other people. You really feel like you belong with them. They, when they see you, they're some, you're someone they know. You're someone that they're delighted to see again and to embrace. And there's a great longing for community. But the reason there's such a powerful longing for communion is because we Americans, and of every ethnicity, quite frankly, from what I can tell, it's not like um, you know, so it's not like one set of ethnicity is so much better. We're all pretty bad at it. 
And uh, so that's part one, the sin of pride and the problem of autonomy. Part two, human wholeness and the Holy Trinity. I'm going to kind of delve into some deep waters today. And this question of community is not just because I feel lonely and I want to be with other people. It actually has something to do with eternity itself. Who is God? And why there's a, there's a deep, divine, divinely set reason why we all need community. You don't just need community because you're lonely. You need community because it was eternally put into you. So that's part two. And part three, I'm going to close by talking about other persons and divine humility. A different way of looking at other people and um, through divine humility. So part one, um, the sin of pride and the problem of autonomy. Let's, let's get into our passage. Uh, let's go right to uh, verse um, four. All right, so if we can project that up, verse four. Um, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Um, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. I want to say that again. Individually members one of another. Now, there, um, this, is, this is the way this passage particularly talks about the, this vision of community that we are one body. The Bible uses multiple metaphors about, you know, the, what we're, this word that we call community. It almost seems kind of, community is this abstract word that there's a bunch of people that get together and somehow they feel like they belong together. Um, that's, that's kind of just the modern, you know, 21st century English language. But the, but the Bible uses deeper words. The picture is even deeper. Um, this particular passage uses body. There's so many other passages that talk about how we have a father and we're his children. Um, there's another passage that also talks about body. It also talks about how we are citizens of together. There, I mean, in, this, in the Bible, I could, there, there are literally dozens. <laughs> this is such an important theme. And we as Americans, we're, I, don't know, I don't know if you understand this, um, um, even though uh, the majority of the people in this room aren't, uh, you know, aren't like Anglo-Americans or white Americans who are known to be among the most individualistic people on the earth. Do you know that all Americans are highly individualistic? Black Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans. I've yet to meet one that isn't individual, individualistic. We all believe that we own ourselves. <laughs> we all believe we get to control our own lives and shape all our choices, and we love having a thousand choices. And as soon as some of those, these choices are taken away from, we get, we get really nervous about this thing. But the way the Bible puts it, and we're just, and I've noticed that American Christians, this is all over the place in the Bible. <laughs> um, the New Testament, literally, it's in every single book. <laughs> so I just happen to pick um, Romans 12 because I want to hit on this theme. There's a, there's a related theme here that I want to touch upon. But the, this passage talks about how we are one body, and members one of another. So let's just, let, let's think about this picture. If you are a body, um, every member, so a member is not like a, it's like a distinct part. A member of a body would be like a finger. So you got the little finger, you got the thumb, you got the big toe. My middle toe and my right foot this week was screaming out 
Um, it's really true because it got infected. Um, let me tell you when the middle toe in one of your feet is infected, every other part of the body knows it, right? It makes itself known. And you're like, normally nobody ever pays attention to the middle toe on your foot. But now let me tell you, the little finger on my hand knew about the middle toe on my body because we're what? Members one of another. That is the Bible's understanding of human community. So if you think about who you are, you could be a little finger. You could be uh, you know, a middle toe. Maybe you're, you're a little less, you like to be in the background. You could be a pancreas. You know, the pancreas, nobody ever sees the pancreas. It's in there. But if the pancreas were in trouble, um, it, would be about, it wouldn't be long before the rest of the body would know it. <laughs> and that happens in churches. Do you know that? Sometimes somebody comes into the church and they um, start you know, screaming, yelling, falling it apart. Guess what? Everybody in the church knows it. <laughs> um, and if the body was a good body, they wouldn't go immediately, let's kick this person out. <laughs> Instead, they would say, we are members one of another. <laughs> what if one of our members is dying? <laughs> Um, I don't know about you, but if my middle toe, I mean, I, 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 I took care of the toe. Um, I, I, YouTube is great. <laughs> I went on to YouTube, and I, I watched like about five videos on what to do, and one of those solutions worked, right? And so, um, uh, you don't, I won't tell you what it is, but you, you can, if you want to know, I can tell you later, right? But it worked, and um, thankfully, um, but you know what I was thinking about? The infection had spread below the top point, and it was like getting red and bad. I mean, I know that's bad. That's bad. Okay, if that ever happens to you, it's really bad. Okay, and the the next steps of the in infection could spread to other parts of the body, and you could lose the toe. You know that? Um, and if we have a a person come into our church as a member of our church, and they're depressed, or they're on addiction. When, and, and they could be, do you know that if that gets worse, they could die. They might kill themselves, or whatever they get addicted to could kill them. And, um, and I hope that, would, that you'd feel that. That's the church. That's, what the, that's how God says this is the church. And that is how deeply... Everybody needs each other. And, and, and I teach this, and I've taught this in multiple different ways. So if, you, if you've ever taken membership class, you know, this is the first thing I emphasize. You know, why you have to take membership? Because community is super intrinsic to being human. But um, it's the way, one of the ways that God redeems human, um, humanity is not just say, we've got to have a religious institution. You've got to come in here so you can do the, like, the religious stuff. No, the vehicle of redemption itself is the church. Because we need to be redeemed into community. You need to be redeemed so you're a member one of another. And so then the thumb and the pancreas and everybody can help make you whole. If you are a little finger and you're disembodied, because that's what we want to be. We want to like be on our own and like, I don't need anybody. So think about this. According to the Bible, according to God, you're like a little finger. And if you're going around thinking like, I don't need anybody. Who needs you? I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. Then 
then, but remember, you're a little finger. Imagine if there was a little finger walking around going like, I don't need anybody. <laughs> Who needs you? And you're like, you're crazy. <laughs> without, without a thumb, without a head, without the mouth to eat, without the lungs, without the stomach, without the intestines, you're going to die, man. That's the truth. And if you, if you like kind of, you know, you're like, that sounds kind of like a nice idea. No, it's really true. <laughs> it's super true. Um, do you guys want to live in a society where there are no doctors, where there are no teachers, where there's no policemen, where there are no plumbers? Do you want to live in a society like that? Then where there are no, okay, we don't don't call them tailors, where where there are no clothes manufacturers, then you would be naked and you would be in the uh, wilderness and then the lion would eat you and you'd die or you would just starve because you you don't know how to do anything. And that spiritually is what God is saying that you are like without the church. So I'm, lay this, I'm not trying to lay this on very thick, but this is the Bible. This isn't my opinion. I, I actually kind of, I, I, like, I, I like autonomy. You know, I like thinking that I don't need anybody else too because I'm American, I'm sinful like that, I'm deluded like that. But I read these passages and go, darn, there it is. <laughs> That's crazy delusion. <laughs> All right, let's repent and believe what God says. And so there are many Sundays when throughout the years, especially when I was a younger Christian, when I wanted to run away from church. Go to church, somebody acts like a jerkwad. And of course, you never act like a jerkwad. But they always are worse jerkwads than you because, of course, everybody knows everybody else is a bigger jerkwad than you, right? So you go to church, and you're like, dude, that person is such an idiot. I don't want to go here. And then I want to run away. That has happened many times to me. Or like, you know, you just listen to like five sermons in a row and they were all kind of duds. Okay, now they probably weren't duds. You just were too prideful to hear the good part of them because, but you go to church and you're like, that was a dud. <laughs> and then next week, that was a dud, that was a dud. And after five weeks of that, you're like thinking, you know, hey, the Cowboys are on this morning because I used to live on the East Coast, you know, and the football games are in the morning. And the Cowboys are on the morning, and then and I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'm like, that would be nice to skip church and watch the game, right? And um, you know, go down to the local sports bar and watch the game with the other Cowboys fans. But, hey, I remembered it's all over the Bible. It's not one place. So the first part, your deep need for community. Now, let's, can we drop back to verse 3? Let's go back to verse 3. Um, I said before we got into this part one that we are bad at community. And verse three is, is a really good, you know, good, really good reason, right? Well, it gets into one of the big, 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 it's probably the biggest one. Here we go, verse three. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. <laughs> there it is. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Okay, let, let's, let, let me, I've been teaching you how to read the Bible. To think with drunken judgment. Do you want, when, when you, have any of you guys been drunk? Probably, I'm, I'm not a big drinker. I've only been drunk like two times in my life. But let me tell you something. You do not think well <laughs> when you've had um, drinks. Let me tell you the, the, um, the drink that we all drink that 
robs us of sober judgment. You know what that is? It's pride. That's what it is. There's what it says. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is pride. And it gives a great definition for pride. Everybody is guilty of this right here. You know, one of the biggest things you need to help yourself with pride, nobody can fix pride. It is, it is like being drunk on the most crazy thing. And everybody drinks it. Everybody drinks that Kool-Aid of pride. And so what, what we tend to do is like you look at yourself, and of course nobody ever thinks that I'm the best. <laughs> I'm the best. What we do is you look at some part of yourself that you think is good. And it probably is good. Well, then what we do is then we look at other people and say, they're not as good. <laughs> On this, they're not as good. Some of you are, are, are good dressers. So you walk into the room and you immediately go, Dude, come on, get a clue. And you look pretty dumpy there, right? And you're like, I'm, I look good. See? <laughs> right? But, um, but some of you are like, you're very smart. There's a lot of smart people in this city, right? There's a very lot of smart people. So you walk in the room, you start sizing up people how smart they are. Some people are very good looking. Um, some of you size up other people's cars. And so, my wife, she literally, like the other day when we were on a trip, she walked up to a white sedan, and I was, she was like, oh, she was like, oh, that looks like our car. I'm like, it doesn't look like our car. <laughs> it looks nothing like our car. It's white. It's a sedan. That's it. <laughs> and so, but some of you are very high, highly aware of other people's cars. And so you walk in, and you know your car, and you're like, oh, that person's car is better. But all these other people, they're not as good as mine. <laughs> and so, but we do this everywhere, all the time. It's crazy stuff. You know what it is? It's pride. And you meet somebody, and you do that thing, and you do the comparison. This thing, I mean, do you notice I say to everyone, not to think of yourself more highly, but think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So let's just say, if you don't have much faith, you should have sober judgment about that. And if you don't have much faith, you're not going to be very sober about yourself. Can you say that again? You know what helps you to have sober judgment about yourself? Faith. You must know who you are before God. I mean, a while back... Um, uh, you know, I won't say exactly what my son was like lying about certain things and, you know, he's kind of breaking up his integrity. And, um, and, and then we found out about it. And one of the things I told him is I said, son, I may not know about it and you can get away with these lies, but you can never get away with them before God. <laughs> Whoever you are before God is all you are. Nothing more and nothing less. Period. That's what I said. So if you are a lying cheat before God, that's who you are. If nobody else around you knows that, it does not matter. You're still a lying rat. And that's all you are. Nothing more, nothing less, period. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit let him hear that. He started to weep. Let me say that to you. That's not just something for my son, that's for all of you. 
That's for all of us. Who we are before God is all we are. To the world, we want to put on good clothes. I'm better than you. You're not as, maybe not as good as this bad person. And then, then we go out into the world, and actually then community is not this thing where, you know, did you, did you notice all these, some of these, all those other verses? I'll talk a little about those in a moment. Let love be genuine. Weep with those who weep. Um, don't, you know, return, hurt, you know, evil for evil. Those are some of the things it says. Um, it said things like, outdo one another in honor. This is what community is supposed to look like. By the way, do you have to be a Christian to know that? <laughs> you do not need to be a Christian to know that. You can walk in this room, total atheist. There's lots of atheists in our city. Complete atheist. And it says, let love be genuine. Actually, in the Greek there, in the Greek there, that word, let love be genuine, is let love be without hypocrisy. Everybody hates hypocrisy. <laughs> and everybody hates bumping up against the other person's gross pride because pride is one of the biggest source of hypocrisy. And there it is. All good human community should be like this, all those things. <laughs> and so you don't even need to be a Christian to understand this is what human communities would be like, but this is like, that's not how we do it. You walk into a group of people, and immediately we're filled with pride and self-centeredness. It's about me. It's like this narcissist. And then we begin to use the community to establish, you know, like my little spot. I'm better than you. You're weaker than me. You stay down there because I'm better than you. Or actually, for some of you, pride actually goes both ways. Pride, pride has like both manifestations. One is, I'm so great and I'm better than you. And then it goes the other way, too. Pride is about self. So if there's a part of you that you think is, like, not so good, and then you're like, I'm so bad, and I'm needy, 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 and I need you to make me feel good. That's both ways. And so people come into the church, and if they see people they think are, like, beneath them, I can't be a part of that. <laughs> and if they walk into the church and they feel really, really needy, and I'm weak, and I'm hurting, and I'm this, but like nobody will meet me, well, then, then we react. You're like, nobody, nobody loves here. <laughs> and, then, and then we reject that too, and it goes both ways. But actually, both those things are why we're so terrible <laughs> at community. And um, by the way, I have yet to meet the soul that this is not true of. Uh, you're looking at a very repenting person up here. Um, I'm a highly prideful person. And I have found that, you know, like sometimes I, I'm really tempted to look at porn. I mean, like, you know, I've told that to you because I don't really want to tell you. But, like, I have found that this, like, wickedness inside my heart, let me tell you, is nothing. It's like, it's like nothing compared to the, my pride problem. My self-centeredness problem, my comparison problem. My, like, I want to use you, you know, so, like, you're like, okay, I, I need to leave this church because this is what the pastor's like. <laughs> um, I hope you actually conclude the opposite because let me just tell you everything. Every pastor's like that. This is a really, like, you can never make it as a pastor if you, if you can't fight this because 
It's not about my money. I'm not going to get lots of money from you. <laughs> you know what I need to get from you? Affirmation. <laughs> like I'm a good pastor and you trust me. <laughs> but you know what regularly happens? Regularly happens is people inside the church will trust you for a while and then I will let them down, sometimes not on purpose. And then they say, oh, you're not a good pastor. And then they leave. You know how many, you know, you know how many times that happens? It has happened to me many times. <laughs> Every pastor I know lives in fear of that. And as I deal with that, you know what you have to deal with? Will I live in faith or I live in fear? Will I live in pride and fear or I live in faith? And then other things too. I want to run away. I want to run away from this community. (laughs) It'd be so nice if somebody else did the heavy lifting on leading church and then I can just show up and receive. Instead, I remember this thing, members one of another. And I actually have often thought, it's a good thing God made me a pastor because I'm so prideful. Because I have to fight this fight all the time. And it's really important, nobody can do it on their own. So how do you have a a sober assessment of yourself? You're around people who also are seeking humility and community and real love and repentance before with a divine power from God and then they tell you what you're actually like and now it's not it's never perfect because anytime people tell you stuff it's fallible but when you go before God's word infallible but at least now you have the infallible feedback and you have a more sober feedback because people of faith filled by the Holy Spirit, not the drunkenness. They are drunk on the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Be drunk on the Spirit, not on wine, and definitely not on pride. And so, um, so just first and foremost, everybody has a deep, deep need for repentance. And one of the biggest, biggest ways to become more whole is, and cast off pride is you need the people. <laughs> you need your family, right? All right, let's go to part two. All right. I'm going to do, you know, all of you guys who've listened to me preach before, you guys know I like part one is usually about how terrible we are. (laughs) So, like, you know, I I already already did that. Did I convince you? Did I convince you that you're just really rotten? Good. All right. (laughs) Okay, so, um, uh, but part two, and you're like, okay, he'll he'll get to the good part, the gospel in in part three. Today, oh, hey, I'm going to get to the gospel in part two. How do you like that? <laughs> I switched it around on you. But um, I want to, um, human wholeness and the Holy Trinity. Um, uh, let, let's, uh, I, I want to say a little something about this, and then we'll get into, uh, I want to give you a quote. So just, uh, I want to say something about this. Notice how it says this, um, verse 9. Let love be genuine without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Right? In, in our city, we like to hold fast to what is evil, <laughs> and occasionally we like to abhor what is good. Okay, that's, that's like, oh, I never abhor what is good. It's like, yeah, look, we don't care about God's word. That's really, really good, you know. But um, you know, we always think we only have, we only need my word. That's that's evil. Okay, <laughs> we like to hold on to those kinds of things. Love one another with brotherly affection. Let me, let me say something to you. Are you one of these people that doesn't have very good feelings to your brothers and sisters? So love, dude, that's a really good verse. 
Love with brotherly affection. You know you can love without the affection? People think love is a feeling. It is not a feeling. It is a movement of your heart to do good to the other person. That's what real love is. You can do that without the feeling, but you should want to have the feeling. <laughs> and if you have a little bit of that feeling, you should, you know, like strengthen that feeling. And so you're like, you walk in, you're like, okay, I can try to like do good to the other people. I guess that's actually loving. It is. And then, and it's doing it without hypocrisy because, you know, it's not like you're like trying to do something else. And how about, but you're like, I don't have much affection. It's okay. Do you have a little? Then use that little, and God will make it grow. Not you will make it grow. God will make it grow. It's by grace. So all these things, now I want to say something about this. This is, you know, I honestly don't have to, you know, beat you over the head. I'm just trying to, like, all these things are, like, incredible things. What community actually look like. Do you know what all this is? This is the pathway to be wholly human. This is what it looks like. If you want to be truly and wholly human, it looks like this. We're not any good at it, which is why we need the gospel. We need Jesus Pour out his spirit on us and newness of life to do it this way. But um, uh, let me, what we always want to do instead is choose autonomy my way. And then we choose pride and autonomy. But this is a glorious thing. We're not good at this. Oh, but there's incredible help. And I want to, I want to throw this, um, you know, this quote up there. And um, for those of you who went to the retreat, I hope you remember this quote. So um, let me ask our brother to put this up here. So, this is from, um, he's a Christian counselor. His name is Dan Allender. Dan Allender's theology is really good, okay? And uh, he's, really, he's a really wise biblical counselor. And um, I got, we got this from our retreat speaker, Pastor Stephen Rowe. He was our, he was, he was our, our speaker. And I was so taken by this quote, um, I, 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 got, I made sure I got it. And I wanted to share it when I, in a relevant message. And here we are. So it's, here's uh, what it says. God does not exclusively fill the human heart. I thought it was really ironic because in the, the message that Pastor Stephen Rowe gave at the, the you know, in, at, in, at our, when we were at a retreat this summer, he says, you know these songs, you're all I need, Jesus. Our, our brother actually picked that song this morning. <laughs> Did you notice that? I was like, hey, he picked that song. And then, but Pastor Stephen Rowe is saying, like, actually, that's not entirely right. <laughs> According to Stephen Roy, he's like, actually, this is crazy. God does not exclusively fill the human heart. He made mankind to need more than himself. Crazy. The staggering humility of God to make something that was not to be fully satisfied with the creator and the creation is incomprehensible. Is absolutely incomprehensible. I want you to think about this a little bit from God's perspective. You're the most glorious and perfect being there is. Everything you make needs you. But he's going to make one being, he says, you know what? You, won't, you can't only need me. I'm going to want you to need other people, other persons besides Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
That's the way God made it. Um, when I was, um, I'll tell you a story, when I was 14 years old, um, my, my parents put me into a high school on the other side of the city. So we, we used to live in East San Jose. It was multi-ethnic and poor. <laughs> I didn't know we were poor because this was, we always lived in neighborhoods like this. And then my parents wanted us to go to a good high school, which meant the highest scoring high schools, and they tend to be in the richer neighborhoods. So we moved to Saratoga. It was rich back then, too. <laughs> Today it's like ridiculous, but it was rich back then, too. And somehow, miraculously, we got into a house there. Right? But before that, we thought we were going to move to Los Gatos, which was rich, but a little bit less rich. So I went into culture shock moving into this large high school, Los Gatos, and I just made friends after, by the end of my first semester, and then they had to move, we moved into Saratoga. <laughs> so I had to make friends twice my freshman year. <laughs> I went from a tiny little Christian junior high school that was multi-ethnic and middle class to lower middle class to almost all white, big high school where people were, were white and rich. And I was really lonely. <laughs> beginning of ninth grade. That was the first time in life I really started to pray. <laughs> I really started to pray. I was like, I would go to church on Sunday and said, oh gosh, finally I have community. <laughs> on Monday, I would say, nobody knows me, nobody cares about me, I'm nothing here. <laughs> and if that wasn't bad enough, I finally made a couple friends and by the middle of like, you know, my, my first semester at Los Gatos High School, I started to feel like, okay, maybe I could be okay here. And then by the end of first semester of Los Gatos High School, freshman year, I started feeling like, I think I can start to be okay here. And then we moved. <laughs> we moved into an even more cliquish <laughs> school in the middle of freshman year. Middle of freshman year when everybody already has their friends. So all the other lonely people came from other junior high schools already made their friends, and I was not on the radar of anybody. Second semester, freshman year at Saratoga High School was one of the worst times of my life. <laughs> and I started praying, God, I need you. <laughs> I need you. But you know what I also started to pray? I says, I know you're here with me. I used to literally sit there in my bedroom <laughs> at like midnight praying because my heart was being torn apart. And I said, but... I know you're here, but I need a person. I need somebody else. <laughs> like, I need some body here, like a body, like I can touch that person. Like, can you please send that kind of person? And Dan Allender says, God made you to not only need him, but to need other people. Incredible. How could God be so humble that he would make you and me so that he would have to share <laughs> that he, can't, he would not be all in all for us. He is all in all, but he would only be all in all through other people. <laughs> Dan Allender says it is incomprehensible. It is utterly incomprehensible. But what I'm going to try to do in this next portion, the gospel, part of the gospel is to heal the human condition. It's a good news that God has done something to heal the human condition. He made us so, the heart is so vast. I've told you that you have an infinite chasm of your heart because an infinite God of infinite glory can only fill that place. But this is incredible. 
the infinite God of infinite glory says, I'm going to fill that place with myself and other people. It's the only way you can be made really full, with myself and other people. Then he invented marriage. Then he invented family. Then he invented nation. All these other people. And then he ultimately said, well, family and marriage and nation is breaking apart. So then let me invent something new, the church. So it is utterly incomprehensible. But let me tell you one piece of comprehensibility about it. And you know where it comes from? The gospel. So who is God? God is, you might have heard this thing, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you know that before God made Adam, there's always been community? Um, this is the only doctrine of God that believes in this. Now, I know like, um, like you know, the Greeks believed there was a pantheon of 12 gods, but they were a horrible community. They all, did you notice they were a horrible community? <laughs> They're nothing like the community, like this Romans 12 kind of vision. All these commands, love, let love be genuine, they're all plural, plural commands. Do you know that? In, in, in English, it's a little bit um, unclear when something is told to an individual versus when something is told to a group of people. Here, it's, it's ex ex extremely clear. These are all plural verbs. These are all plural, um, these are all plural commands. Let love be genuine. Plural. Hmm. Right? Bear one another up. Weep with those, it's all plural. Do it together, do it together, do it together. You know why it's like this? Because it is a picture of something like the way God does it. Before he ever made anything, before he ever made a piece of dust, there was a great we. That was a three in one. The Muslims do not believe this. The Jews do not believe this. No other worldview believes this. I want, I want to say a little something, but this is, this is deep waters here. Muslims believe that there is an infinitely glorious God. They agree with us on that. Jews believe that there's an infinitely glorious God. They agree with us on that. They believe that that God is a singular person. They agree with that, but they don't agree with this Trinity thing. So Muslims believe that there is infinite glory and it is power. It's eternal. Christians believe that, yep, there's infinite glory and power. It's eternal. We, we agree on that. All that we agree on. Here's what we disagree. But love, because if there's no other person, who do you love? Our God is three in one. Love has always been. Love was not invented. Love was not created. It's always been. And you know what Christians believe? Love is prior to power. So here, God made us human. He made us to be in his image. I taught you recently, there's only three pathways to be human. You can either be an animal. That's the secular way. You could be a devil. That's just the normal devil way. It's normal fallen humanity. Everybody chooses animal and devil. You know that? Everybody, you're just born to choose animal devil of being a human being. God can only give you the third way to be like him in the image of God. To be in the image of God is to choose love, is to choose community. God always was in love and in community. And, and real love, Trinitarian love, 
utterly humble. <laughs> infinite humility, pouring out infinite love, so that each of the persons of the Holy Trinity humbly goes out into complete self. That's what, that's what humility is. You don't have to be fake that like, okay, you know, like LeBron James doesn't have to be fake that he's like, okay, I'm not that good at basketball. You're like, what are you talking about? You're the best in the world, maybe the best ever. <laughs> that's not humility. I'm, I'm not that good at basketball. That's not humility. That's a lie. <laughs> All, right? All right? With sober judgment, sober judgment, you're the best. Hey, no problem. <laughs> okay? He can, well, that's humble. <laughs> but you know what he can also do? He can forget about basketball. <laughs> He can forget about his worth. He's free of himself. He can wholly give himself freely. That's humility. And you know how I know that's humility? Because that's how God does it. The father goes, I'm the father. I'm the boss of everything. That's what he says. He never says that. He gives all his glory to his son. Son goes, I, I'm, I'm resentful that you're the boss and, you, and I always have to obey you. No, no, I willingly, I give all my glory back to you. Infinite and perfect humility. Father gives to Son, Son gives to the Spirit, and the Son gives back, back to the Spirit, gives back to the... All three persons constantly give. So here's the gospel. Jesus came to make us like that. That's the gospel. Jesus came to make us like that. And to make a community like that. And to make each of us in our own heart that we would give, not just back to Jesus, not just back to the Father, not just back to the Spirit, we would do that for other people. And then that heaven will one day be filled with other persons, so this is part three of my sermon here now, other persons, and you will give yourself to those persons like the way the Father gives himself to the Son, the Son gives himself to the Spirit, and the Spirit gives himself, and everything in heaven, every person in heaven will be just like the Holy Trinity. That's the gospel. And you know what? We have zero chance of making it happen on our own. And so infinite humility had to come down and be given to us. So the one who is infinitely in power and glory, who does not need anything else, (laughs) he really actually can be completely autonomous and doesn't need anything else, but he has infinite Humility, not pride. And so, you know, infinitely glorious God was born in a manger. You understand what a manger is? It's the worst crib ever. Because <laughs> it's not a crib. It's where animals eat. The most glorious God became a baby. He became a baby. <laughs> he became tremendously weak and vulnerable and born into a dirt poor family with the worst, and then we call that the incarnation. Theologians call that the humiliation and the exaltation. But the Jesus that we see, everything is the humiliation of God, the lowliness of God. And if that wasn't enough, he said, for other persons, so that they can be like us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they can be whole, they can be truly human. And we can have community. They can have community. Like our infinitely glorious community before there was anything. 
as if the humiliation of becoming a baby, being dirt poor, of sitting around talking to like these ridiculously prideful Pharisees, and all these like prostitutes who's like lived kind of gross, grossed out professions. <laughs> you know, that was all part of the humiliation, and yet he gave that to us willingly, gladly, joyfully even. And if that wasn't enough, then we killed him with the most humiliating death that could possibly be. So that when that blood is shed, our pride is washed away. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. <laughs> please don't come to church looking to use other people. And please don't go into the world saying, what can I get? We're going to constantly think about this. Would you think about the most important person and what he did for you? <laughs> and how he first forgave you and washed you. And you know what he put in your heart? A humility that none of us could possibly ever have on our own. He put sobriety into your heart. <laughs> he gave you a chance to see yourself the way you really are. And then not hate yourself. <laughs> and instead, to be free. And then freely give yourself to other people. And he constantly gives. I can't give much to anybody else. Then he gives you more. All these things, that passage is like, you, everybody has a gift to give. Everybody has a gift to give. So give it. Serve it. And you become like God. This is the gospel. And so when you come in here and believe the gospel, and then live in the gospel, and part of the church is the glorious, it's like, I know it doesn't look much like the Trinity, but in its best, it tastes like it. You can get a little taste of it. And that's how you know this is real. It's utterly true. When the church is the church, we're tasting a little piece of heaven and the Holy Trinity. And I hope that that is worthy of your life. It's worthy for you to come to every week. It's worthy to give your heart, give your money, give your sacrifice. That's what we're doing. That's what Revive Church is doing. We are helping people to taste the Holy Trinity and offering them real humanity. So we're offering in the city. It's a pretty good gift. And you and I, we need it desperately. So you run to it every week. I hope you come to church with gladness and do church in Christ for him and for all these other people so that other people can be blessed this way. Let's pray. Every day we can choose heaven or we can choose the dangerous wilderness of other people being animals biting us or even worse, we could choose hell. Hell where there's only pride. Hell where everybody is so insecure and says, get away from me, I don't need you. Or heaven is being offered to us today. And the church should be little foretastes of heaven, of forgiveness, of mercy, where people are, are seeking to outdo one another in honor, <laughs> where it hurt with the hurting, 
would laugh with the rejoicing, where love is genuine, and where humility is just the norm. Help us to fight our pride, repent of this most horrible wickedness. I remember C.S. Lewis saying things like, greed and lust are nothing, are but flea bites compared to pride. The most wicked thing, the most devil-like thing. And yet, thank you, Lord Jesus, you, infinitely more glorious than the devil. And your glory is through humility. You would come to be lowly, and your lowly is exactly what is most glorious. Give us eyes to see with sober judgment. Help us run to humility. And when we taste humility from others, we would rejoice. Oh, that is something that is divine. And when we say real humility with real love from God, for God, through God, through Jesus, that is you making us whole. We pray that Revived Church would be this kind of community, a beautiful, glorious family. And that people would come and be attracted to us, not because, you know, we're the best looking or we got the coolest building or the nice band or good coffee or anything silly like that. But when people show up here, they would taste real humility, genuine love, and an incredible community that we call the family of God that we are your sons and daughters, your children, redeemed by the humble blood of Jesus. Make us this way. We beg you, we long for this to be true in us and for our neighbors. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.